0: Hey, we're going to be in Psalm 139 today, so if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, there's also some Bibles on the table in the back there when you first walked in. You can grab one of those. If you don't have one, please keep that one. That is our gift to you. So please take it, keep it, read it, underline it, whatever you want to do with it, but please use it. Well, we're continuing our series called Out Ones, and today I want to look at... Abortion and the gift of life. We're hitting some pretty heavy topics. I talked to the team today. I said, What I'm trying to do in this series, what Kyle's, Pastor Kyle's trying to do in this series, we're trying to go into Satan's house and punch him in the mouth and get out of there. Um, I don't know if you know anything about spiritual warfare, but Satan doesn't typically like being punched in the mouth. Satan doesn't like people hearing the gospel. Satan doesn't want us to touch these topics, but these are topics that we need to talk about. They're hard topics, and there's things about being called out ones, which is what Christi- what it means to be a Christian, is to be called out from the world. There's ways that we act, and there's ways we engage the world that is counter to the way the world handles things. So we talked about multi-ethnicity a few weeks ago. We talked about... Uh, the week after that, Pastor Kyle talked about care for the poor and hospitality to the poor. The week end, last week, we talked about radical forgiveness. Like, if you thought you were going to get off easy for radical forgiveness sermon, you did not get off very easy. It's a hard thing. I've been struggling with it even this week. Today, we're going to talk about abortion. And next week, we're going to talk about human sexuality kind of in general. And the week after that, we are going to talk about transgenderism, which is a heavy topic, and it's a difficult topic in our day and age. And so we are providing a resource for you, Preston Sprinkle's book embodied. It's on the table outside if you would like a book, a copy of that, because there's no way in one sermon will i be able to handle everything that it, when it comes to that topic, but I would like to do my best. But that's a good book. It's a very pastoral book, and even people who disagree with him, I've seen and heard them say that they find it to be a very loving book, even though they disagree with his conclusions. Um, but we, I would agree with his conclusions. When we talk about the topic of abortion, I had a professor in seminary say to to our class that every culture has figured out a way to get rid of unwanted children. We've just come up with the most scientific way to do it. So when we talk about abortion, it's not a new thing. The world has always tried to do something with children it does not want. We are just the ones who've come up with the most scientific way to do it. So in ancient times in the Old Testament, Israel was condemned and judged by God for sacrificing their children to Moloch, who's a pagan god. That was one way to get rid of children. Spartans, when they determined in ancient Greece, when they determined that their child was unworthy, what they would do is they would take that infant and they would toss them off a cliff to their death. In our time since Roe versus Wade in 1973, an estimated 60 million legal abortions have happened in the United States. 60 million. 900,000 abortions happen each year in the United States. Imagine that, that's like most of Philadelphia every year is aborted in the United States. Stanley Hauerwas, who's an ethicist, ethicist, Christian ethicist, he talks about abortion. When he talks about abortion, he reminds Christians that life is not sacred in and of itself. Oftentimes, what Christians do when we talk about life, we talk about how life is sacred, and then what we end up doing is we have these arguments about when does life happen. And Stanley Hauerwas just simply says we don't talk about life as sacred in and of itself. We talk about life being a gift from a gracious God. That all life, from womb to tomb, is a gift. And so that at the time of the early Christians, what we, we see in the first several centuries is that unwanted infants in the Roman Empire were th- literally thrown onto garbage heaps, either to die or to be taken by traitors into slavery and prostitution. This is Tim Keller's, he says that Christians saved the infants and took them in. So what happens was in the Roman Empire, people actually were literally taking the unwanted children and throwing them on the garbage heaps. And what Christians did, they went around and picked them up and adopted them. That is counter to even our day and age. See, my biggest fear with Christians when we talk about this subject is you don't want to be pro-life, I don't want to be pro-life, we want our politicians to be. And so when it comes to making hard decisions and being open to opening our homes and welcoming children into our homes. We're not willing to make that kind of sacrifice because we don't want to be pro-life, we want our judges to be. And we want them to legislate things and make sure everybody else follows the rule of the law and nothing about our hearts change. But the early Christians, the reason they did that, the why they did that, was they saw what we need to see, is that all life is a gift from God. So I want to talk about three things today, and then what I'm actually going to do is have Lauren Kretzer come up and join me, because Lauren has done a lot of work in this area. And it's her. I'm, not, I'm going to try to get through quickly what I have to say, which I know is a big ask for me, but because I want to get to what Lauren has to say, because I think what Lauren has to say is really powerful, and her experience is really moving but want to talk about life is a gift from a creative God, life is a gift from a personal God, and life is a gift from a pers- purposeful God. Creative, personal, and purposeful. So life is a gift from a creative God. Look at verse 13 of Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Each life is a picture of God's creativity. When we look at Psalm 139, what, the whole of Psalm 139, right? we, just, we were pulling these three verses out. Thir- we're going to be in 13 through 16 today. We're going to pull those verses out. But what the whole of Psalm is saying is that God is all seeing. And in ta- the psalmist, David, he takes so much joy in that. And God is all present. And God is all holy. And in verses 13 through 16, he's saying that God is all creative. Each life is a picture of God's creativity. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of roll with this, and we're just, maybe we're just have a moment here. How many of you who have kids whose personality just confuses you, and you're like, "Kid, I don't know where you came from." Anybody have that moment? All right, good. Yeah, let's have some. Yeah. Good. A few of us have felt that way. My wife didn't raise her hand, so I'm apparently the one who feels that way. But I had. But we were talking about, and I was lamenting about that this week. Is that like I, there's just some there's a couple of my kids who I just don't get them. Like I don't know where you came from, kid. I love you. Daddy would take a bullet for you, and I would lay down my life for you, but I don't know where you came from. Like, your personality is unique, it's special, who you are, how you think. It's all difficult for me to grasp. And so let me just tell you, as a dad of four kids, I can speak to this for a fact that God is very creative in how he's made each and every one of them. Their personalities, their likes and dislikes, their passions, what makes them, them, are all part of God's intensely intimate creativity. And when you look at even verse 15, David says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. What David is saying, my frame—that's my human nature—and I was made in secret, or in the depths of the earth. This is David's talking about the womb. He's saying God is working in the womb, and He's created. He created me in the womb to be this special, unique. It's a picture thing. This is—I'm a, a creative. I'm a picture of a creative God, and so He's saying that in the depths of the womb, or in the depths of the earth, in the darkness, in the secret, no one could see what God was doing, but God was working, and God was forming me, and he was piecing me together. Now, this isn't a scientific claim, like, and it's, like, David knows how babies are made, right? He doesn't, like, think that God's hands are in there, like, building Legos, and then all of a sudden it turns into David, right? He had 20 kids. He he knows how to make babies. At least he knows that, right? He's had a lot of experience in baby making, so he knows I think you're not, if you're not following me, he knows how to make kids, 20 of them. So he's not saying that God is building and he's actually like piecing things together and he has like knitting needles and he's putting me together in my mother's womb. But he's saying that God was involved in every aspect of the biological process from conception, developing you and me into pictures of his creativity. From the womb, God was doing that. So it's remarkable that what we know from science, how babies are knitted and formed. We know that after 10 weeks, babies have fingernails. 10 weeks in the womb, fingernails. If you saw the movie Juno, right, that's why she doesn't go through with an abortion, because she couldn't stop thinking about how the baby had fingernails. We know eight weeks in, the baby has a heartbeat. Twelve weeks in, the baby sucks his or her thumb. Nine weeks in, the baby recoils at pain. They give, in science, they, I guess they poke the baby and they see the baby recoil in pain. See, here's the deal. You don't get to pick and choose when to apply science. You don't get to pick and choose it. It's either true or it's not. So I don't know how you can ignore that. Like, I don't know how you can ignore the fact that the babies have fingernails at 12 weeks and they recoil in pain at nine weeks and they have heartbeats at eight weeks. I don't know if you have saw this. In the past few years, Switzerland passed a law where it's illegal to boil lobsters alive because they feel pain. But in that same country, partial birth abortions are legal. Like, if we live in a world that worries more about the pain of lobsters than about infants in the womb, we've lost our way. We really have lost our way. And I think a large part of it is because we don't see this as a creative work of God, that this is all a gift. This is a precious gift from God. And it's a gift from a personal God. So if you look at verse 14, David says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. What David's saying is that when I know the giver, I'm grateful for his good gifts. Right Notice he says, my soul knows it so well. It knows it very well that you made me wonderfully. You, your works are wonderful. I know it well. It's a personal thing. David knows about these wonderful works of a personal God. He knows it deep in his soul. One of my favorite movies at Christmas time is a Christmas story. Anybody else seen that movie? All right. more than had the kid experience. Great. So in, the, in that movie in a Christmas story, if you remember the scene where Ralphie gets a gift from Aunt Clara, does anybody remember what the gift was? The pink bunny pajamas, right? And his dad what is his dad's response? He looks like a pink what? He looks like a pink nightmare. Right? So Ralphie comes down with the pink bunny pajamas and he comes and he doesn't want to be wearing these things. And he's just like, it's, it's something that he just hates. So his mom just says like, put it away and you'll wear it when Aunt Clara comes by. Right? Gifts aren't just to be thrown away though. That's what she's teaching her kid. Right? This is a gift. You just don't throw it away. That'd be rude. It'd be unappreciative. It'd be disrespectful. And no matter if I wanted the gift or not, Whether Ralphie wanted the pink pajamas, the bunny pajamas or not, he's supposed to keep them, even if they're bad gifts from your Aunt Clara. But unlike Aunt Clara, God doesn't give bad gifts. God gives every good and perfect gift is from the Lord, the Bible says. God only gives good gifts. So because life is a gift from God, it should never be thrown away should never be thrown away. If we believe it's a good gift, if we believe it's a gift from God, it should never be thrown away. And so we have to reject the concept that it's my body, my choice. It was not your choice. It was God's choice. It's a gift. And look, I'm sensitive to that argument. I'm sensitive to the my body, my choice argument because too many men have used or abused the bodies of girls and women. And because every person is created in the image of God, each girl and each woman is given dignity, value, and worth. And that should never be used, that should never be abused for the selfishness of men. But the child in your womb or in a woman's womb is not their body, the child has its own DNA. The child has its own digestive system, its own heartbeat, its own fingernails, as we already talked about. And your body may resource the child, but the child's body is, scientifically speaking, not your body. Just because I resource something doesn't mean that I get to take its life. So when we end the life of a child in a womb, we destroy a gift from God who seeks and desires to know us personally. And this God, according to Matthew 25, gives us a, the gift of others, gives us the gift of children and, and the vulnerable and the needy because they are interactions with Jesus. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that when you care for the needy and the vulnerable, actually caring for me. So we have to understand this. When I remove a life or see it as less valuable, I remove every opportunity to receive the gift of meeting Jesus from a personal God. I get to meet that Jesus through that person, I get to see Jesus through that person and love that person and see Jesus' love be given to me. So when I care for the needy and the vulnerable, I'm caring for Jesus. And who's more needy and vulnerable than a child in the womb? It can't live without its mother's resources. And it's only got a protective layer of skin and some organs to keep it from getting hurt. That child is needy and vulnerable. and this, But here's the deal. To see someone as more needy and then to categorize it as more important does not come from Jesus. Jesus sees all needy and all vulnerable people as opportunities to meet him. All life as a gift from him. And I think we need to Grasp that, that no human life is more important than another. All life is a gift from God. And this is where I have to push back on those of you who are like me, who claim to be pro-life. The lives of the elderly, immigrants, and homeless are just as valuable to Jesus as the child in the womb. I need you to hear me say that because I think we're too often too connected to certain political parties and candidates that we believe because we accept one thing about their platform that we have to accept the other things. And that's not true. Each life, your life, my life, anybody who comes and walks in the client life, anybody you interact with in the city, anybody you see and engage daily is a gift to you as a chance to meet Jesus. All life is a gift. See, in the elderly man, I meet the wisdom of Jesus. In the immigrant, I meet the one who left his home in heaven to live as one of us. In the homeless, I meet the Son of Man who has no place to lay his head. All of human life is a gift from God, and it's a chance to meet Christ. And I wonder, I absolutely have to wonder that if COVID was killing children as much as it was killing the elderly and immune compromised, if we would take precautions or opportunities to reduce the spread more seriously. And I'm sorry to say it, but most of the people who would be in my political camp have been the ones who seem to be very much concerned with the child in the womb, but do not care about the elderly or the immune compromise. You know how I know that? Because I do that too. Because when somebody dies from COVID, I say, hey, how old were they? Hey, did they have any other underlying conditions? Why am I doing that? To justify not caring about their life. Truthfully. That's what I'm doing. I can't say that everybody's doing that, but that's what I'm doing. And I imagine if COVID was killing children as quickly as it kills those at a certain age point or those who have certain underlying conditions, if I would care more about it. See, all life, all life is a gift from God. Every life that's lost should be mourned. No life that's lost should be celebrated. It's, every life that is lost is a, a lost chance to meet God, to meet Jesus. It's a, it's a lost chance to have my heart changed and my life changed. It's a lost chance to see somebody grow into the image of God and to live out the purpose he has for them. In the same way, you don't get to pick and choose when to apply science. If pro-lifers, I'm speaking to my camp, apply science to abortion and we say, hey, at 12 weeks, at nine weeks, at eight weeks, children have heartbeats. But we ignore it, we spread misinformation or claim political motivation whenever science tells us something we don't like to hear, it's inconsistent. You don't get to choose when to apply it or not. If you're going to apply it, apply it consistently. And I'm not talking about living in fear. I'm not talking about taking precautions and living in fear. I'm talking about living with a sense of responsibility for how my actions affect others. And if there... Is no more important lives category in the New Testament, I have to believe that all of human life is important. The Bible does not say, Jesus never says, hey, by the way, babies are more important than everybody else. In fact, Jesus' life shows that's not the case. He sees all life as important. See, when we judge women for getting abortions, yet care very little about how our actions affect others or how little, if we care very little about contributing to a spread of a pandemic or the danger that is to the elderly or we reject policies to protect the lives of migrants or we have utter disregard for the men and women who sleep every night on the street or we turn a quick we turn quickly away in a blind eye to gun violence or we're quick to celebrate when we bomb a country we have one finger pointing at the woman, and three pointing back at us. It's not fair, it's not right to point the finger at women who get abortions and saying, you are the problem when I don't celebrate life and I don't fight for life in other areas. See, you can win the culture war, but lose Jesus in the process. Do you hear me? You can win the culture war, but lose Jesus in the process. And the reason why any of us doesn't see the life of others as a gift is because we worship the God of individualism. We've made our, the highest good... My personal happiness. So life becomes all about me getting what I want. And just for a moment, think about that. If all of us are trying to get what we can out of life, and life is all about me, and it's all about you, and we're all fighting together to get ahead, like what kind of world is that? Do we want to live in that kind of world where everybody cares only about what they want? Where my life is, only, is the only gift? Like, I am God's gift to all of you. Congratulations. Flawed, messed up, Pastor Evan is God's gift to all of you. But that's how I think internally. That's where my heart is driven because I think that my personal happiness is the highest good. But truthfully, that's extremely selfish. All life, unborn and born. Your life, my life, embryo, teenager, young and old, all of life is a gift from God. See, if we value the life of the unborn as a gift, but not the elderly. We don't see life as a gift from God. If we value life, the life of immigrants or lobsters, more than the unborn, we don't see life as a gift from God. For every life I disregard or destroy, I throw away God's gift of another chance to meet Jesus. So not only when we perform abortions do we potentially kill the next Martin Luther King Jr. or Elon Musk, we also stop an opportunity to meet Jesus. And lastly, life is a gift from a purposeful God. So look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Listen to this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What David is saying is saying every life has been mapped out by God as part of his purposeful plan. Every life. Notice what he says. The days that were formed for me. When does God do this? In the line before. When he saw my unformed substance, he wrote it in his book. In the line after, when there were no days, you already mapped out these days for me, he's saying. David says that my entire life has been formed by God. My entire life. So we're formed in the womb. That's what verse 13 says. And God forms our lives, our whole lives at that point too. God purposefully maps out your life. So our lives are not only pictures of God's creativity and his personableness, but also his purposefulness. When you're formed in the womb, God saw you, he loved you, he cared for you. Not only did he form you then, and he didn't just say, hey, figure out your life yourself. He said, I'll map out your life for you. I'll write it down. Full of purpose. Your life is full of purpose. And there was one life that had a particular purpose, which shows us the value of all life. From womb to tomb, this life was mapped out by God before the foundation of the world to rescue you and me from our sin. And because his life was designed and fulfilled with purpose, you and I can be free from condemnation. See, Jesus came down from heaven. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered, he died, and he rose again so that you and I can live a life free from condemnation and full of purpose. Jesus said, I have come to give life and give life to the full. So listen to me, if you're a woman who's had an abortion or you're a man who's pushed your wife or girlfriend to have one, let me just say this to you. You can be free from God's condemnation. When Jesus catches the woman, or sorry, Jesus catches the woman, when they catch a woman in adult, caught in adultery and they throw her at the feet of Jesus, does Jesus condemn her for her sin? No. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Even if you don't value life, even if you've saying you're convicted and you're saying I, I I've blown it in the past. You don't have to live in condemnation. Jesus doesn't condemn you. And here's the deal so neither do we. God's grace covers all of our sin. And if I'm right, if I'm touching on something and all of us really don't care all that much about life except our own, that we need forgiveness too. And Jesus, when we come before Jesus, he says, do I condemn you? No. Go and sin no more. And he now calls all of us to live and step in to his purpose for us. And that in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we see the value that God places On life. We see all of life as this incredible gift from God, and all of life as beloved and precious to Jesus because He gave His life for every single person, born or unborn. So, as called out ones, we work to provide comfort and love, but not condemnation for those who've had abortions. We provide comfort and love for the dads who push their wives or girlfriends into abortions. We provide comfort and love for the dads who are intentionally or unintentionally cut out of the decision. If Jesus doesn't condemn, neither do we. We love every life, even those who have committed abortions because Jesus loves them too. So I want to have Lauren come up. Lauren has done a lot of work in this area. And part of the reason we want to do these conversations is because we want to make sure that we are normalizing talking about these things. And so Lauren, uh, here, slide over just a little bit more. I'll move right here. Are we on? Should be on. There we go. <laughs> All right, we're in. Um, but Lauren has her own experience of having abortions and has since been doing a lot of committing a lot of her life's work to caring for women who've had them or seeking abortions. So as much as what I said is important, this is better. I I think, she'll say no because she's humble like that. But Lauren, why don't you first just tell us about your experience, how old you were, uh, maybe even what led you to the decision to have an abortion.
1: Um, First, I do have to say this, Evan, that was one of the best sermons I've heard. Thank you. Um, Because you approached it from conception to natural death and That's not a message we hear very often, so I really appreciate it. Um, When I was 18, I had a steady boyfriend and um, being a careless teenager, found out I was pregnant. Um, I didn't even think about it. We just made an appointment at a clinic and I'm going to date myself, but back then they didn't have early pregnancy tests. You had to go to the doctor and get a blood test. or, um, And so I went to this clinic with my boyfriend, and I didn't even think about where we were going. I was just uh, full speed ahead. And... Uh, Somebody who was absolutely sweet and wonderful and caring, I thought, um, while my boyfriend was sitting in the waiting room, did the pregnancy test, gave me the results, and I immediately responded, "I'm scared." And what she did was she zeroed right into it and what she told me is, "You're young um, You have your whole life ahead of you. An abortion will be quick and easy and no one will find out or get hurt. This is exactly what they tell women today. Um, They're scared, they feel alone, and they're thinking that this counselor is the only one who understands their situation. What she didn't tell me was how an abortion would affect me every day for the rest of my life. She also didn't suggest that I go and discuss it with my boyfriend. Um, Her goal was to get me back there as soon as possible to abort our baby. A week later, my boyfriend picked me up and we drove back to that clinic to abort our baby. I didn't even think about it. He and I did not talk about it. Um, In fact, afterward, I made jokes. And I could tell that he was upset, but I didn't even think about it. And I think part of it is, and I think Evan touched on that, that he did not feel empowered to help us make a decision as a couple, even though it was his child as well. Um, as almost always happens, shortly after that abortion, we broke up. Um, we never talked about it. I have not seen. I had not seen or talked to him since I was nineteen, and I just went ahead with my life. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm done. I got over it. Um, we have the abortion industry telling us it was just a clump of cells. And there's nothing to think about, nothing to worry about.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Since then, though, you've changed your mind on the issue of abortion. What particularly drove you to change your mind?
1: Well, what happens is, and I know we have a couple of counselors here, abortion is really a trauma. And we are encouraged to bury that trauma. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I, can, I left there thinking, I'm cool. Um, I almost felt empowered because that's the message that they wanted me to walk away with. And I felt like the expert. Um, moving ahead, I met this wonderful man who um, plays guitar, Rich. Um and we got married and praise the Lord Jesus came into our lives. Um and we were only married about a year when that happened and um I'm forever grateful. Um and I loved living for God and serving Him, but the other thing I lived with was the dark secret um of my abortion. Uh, Rich knew about the abortion, um, but most of our friends have been involved with abortion, so we didn't think anything of it. So we went on with our lives, and um, we did talk about starting a family, just kind of touched on it, but we it was a topic that was really ignored. So here we are, married 40 years, and... Um, no children. But um, for 35 years, I was sitting in a church pew and serving God, but I think what you had said was um, not keeping the pro-life arms distance. And I knew that as a follower of Christ, abortion was wrong, but I didn't own up to my own sin. And moving ahead, I had found out quite by accident that my boyfriend had passed away, um, fairly young. And when I heard this, I became obsessed. I started grieving for him. I started Googling him. I started, it's almost like internet stalking. I wanted to know everything about his life, even though I had not thought about him since I was 19 years old. And I was talking to Rich about it, and um, so he knew a little bit about what was going on, but he didn't really know the extent of it. And one day, this was going on for a couple of months, and one day I was sitting, um, well I was in the kitchen making dinner, and all of a sudden, this wave of grief came over me, and I felt like I had to talk to Rich about it. I had no idea what I was going to say, but I did. ended up telling him that, as you know, um, so-and-so had passed away, and I'm having a really hard time with it, but I think I know why. It's because of what we shared, and it was our child. Um, I, at that very second, I felt God say, finally, finally, it was like he was waiting for me to to acknowledge the life of my child. That life did begin at conception. There's absolutely no question about that. And that child needed to be acknowledged um, I realized quickly that the grief that I thought I was feeling for my old boyfriend was actually for our child. Um, at that point, I went through a grieving process. I had just lost some significant family members so I you know I started taking everything I learned in that process and applying it towards my child. Um, I felt like God gave me a name and gave me an identity, Um, but I was still very much alone because the church would not talk about what was going on. So I um, would go to church and I would just silently grieve and go through this process. And then one day I was on my way to work and I was listening to a Christian radio show and they were interviewing a woman by the name of Pat Layton. And Pat Layton um, talked about her own abortion experience and how she um, sorry and how she felt the need to share her story in the context of church, and she was encouraging others to do the same um, to first go through a healing process and then to share their stories because as long as we're silent on this topic, it gives the enemy the upper hand. And we can't allow that to happen anymore. I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt at that very second that God was calling me to tell my story. And from there, I got involved. If I, like you, I believe that Pro life was standing outside of the abortion clinics holding nasty signs, and I found out since then that's not the case.
0: Yeah, so one thing that's great about Lauren is she has had a lot of experience comforting, grieving women. Um, What's also great about Lauren is that women who have gone through abortions, even after talking to you, I know from uh, from our conversations, that you continue to keep up with those women and love them still. So, which is a great action, wait great way to show the love of Christ to somebody is I, just because we, you didn't do what I, I thought you should do, I'm still going to love you anyway. So, speaking of, like, loving people who are either considering abortions or somebody may, here may know somebody who is, what advice would you give them in talking to that person?
1: Um, first of all, and I know... Um, Last week's sermon was ideal as far as realizing the greatness of our sin, and we are not in a position to judge others. Um, But somebody who is in an unexpected or unwanted pregnancy is definitely scared and traumatized. And I'm talking about the men as well. Men have a large influence, but they don't realize it. Um, Because the world says it's just the woman's choice and that's not the case I don't think Evan refers to his four children as just Amanda's children. They're as much his as they are Amanda's Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) who are you? (laughs) But um, so My advice would be first of all to engage Um, we tend to avoid Um, We need to engage and we need to be inviting. We also have in this area a bunch of ministries known as pregnancy centers. I know Liberty um, personally supports Alpha um, in the city, but there are a lot of pregnancy centers. Um, The job of a pregnancy center is to um, give a free sonogram and also talk through other choices. If you think about what I was told, I was given one choice. No one told me any alternatives. Um, The job of a pregnancy center is to help you look at all the alternatives and to provide resources um, for protecting your life, the life of the child, and your family.
0: So last question. Real quickly, if somebody wanted to get involved, what would be the first step?
1: I'm free to have any conversation. (laughs) Um, You know, the first thing to do is really to educate yourselves about what really goes on. That was eye-opening for me. Even though God was calling me into this ministry, it was very clear. I had no idea. Um, I just had assumptions because, you know, the, the... News media out there wants you to think that we're all very hateful people and we're all very condemning, and we only care about the baby. We care about the family. Um, We also, the people that work for Planned Parenthood and actually get involved with um, providing abortions, they need Jesus just as much as anybody else. There's a couple of really good movies out there. One of the most popular ones right now is called Unplanned. Um, That gives you a really good story about what goes on. There's also a book. um, uh, Feel free to talk to me. Over on Comely, just a few blocks from here, there is a Planned Parenthood. Uh, we could go there. I'd be happy to go with you and just stand outside and pray and watch. You don't have to say anything except talk to God um, and watch and see what goes on. And I'd be happy to talk to anybody here or not here about it. Uh, high out there in virtual world. Um, <laughs> but um, any conversation that we do have is completely confidential. I know I would appreciate it when people keep my confidentiality and not everybody is called to stand up in front of a church and say, hey, I had an abortion. Um, And I recognize that, I appreciate it, and I wanna protect that. So feel free to come and talk to me.
0: Hey, can we thank Lauren for sharing that? It takes guts to do so. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Let's pray and then we'll continue our service. Father, we are so incredibly grateful. Whether we're here today, we're a Christian or not. We're grateful that because of your Son, we don't stand condemned, but we can receive his forgiveness. And so, if you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're convicted of your sin and you realize your need for Jesus' grace and his forgiveness, just silently reach out to him and ask him to forgive you. Apologize for the things you've done wrong and commit to him now. And for the rest of us, Father, may those of us who claim to be Christian and pro-life care for all life from womb to tomb and may we be people who love those around us, even if they don't believe like us, even if they don't make decisions we would want them to make. And may we not condemn because you, because of your son, do not condemn us. That's in his name we pray. Amen.